welcome everyone to the very first pilot episode of Flavor Text, the Magic the Gathering lore podcast in which we read some really old books and have some really very distinct thoughts about them. I am one of your hosts, Marina. I'm Sunny, they, them. And we are uh, going to start with kind of an introduction about what this project is about, uh, who we are, and why we're doing this. Uh, so I'll go ahead and uh, give myself a little more introduction than just my name. So um, I have been around Magic the Gathering for pretty much most of my life, uh, but only recently got into playing it. And uh, that was very explicitly due to uh, the Crimson Vow set, which says a lot about me. Uh, and also the Arena app I just kind of recalled of. You know, Arena came out and it was kind of a very good gateway for a new player to learn without having to uh, pay for a lot of cardboard. So... Got into it around that time and have been pretty deep in there ever since. And after a while, I started asking myself, man, who are the people on these cards? Why do they matter? What are their stories? And found out there is apparently just dozens and dozens of books and online short stories and things to read. And I thought to myself, why not read all of them? Literally all of them. Why not become the lore expert and then drag this one into it? Yeah, I'm pretty much a newbie to the whole magic scene, um, not even like a month or two into it. So I, I'm i an illustrator, and so I want to know what these cards are saying. I want to know the stories behind them. So that's kind of my angle I'm going in at. And uh, here we are. So you've got uh, the two of us who are looking at this project and uh, think to ourselves how to approach it. Because I had already started reading a few of these books before you had decided that you wanted to read them too. And at that point, um, we were talking about like, well, if we're both going to be reading them, why don't we, uh, you know, make everyone else in the world suffer along with us? And at the time I was, uh, and still am, listening to a podcast that gave me kind of the idea for this. It's uh, called The Shrieking Shack. If you have not listened to it, uh, I would highly recommend it. They're doing essentially what we're doing here, but for the Harry Potter novels, the hosts are hysterical. It's worth a listen. But essentially what they do is every episode, they go into a couple chapters of the book that they're currently on. They'll give some summaries of the chapters, you know, what happened in case listeners don't feel like reading along, or they want a refresher if they are reading along, and then they provide some commentary. You know, what do they think about the chapter? What did they like? What did they dislike? What was hysterical? Uh, and uh, that's kind of the core of the episode. Um, we'll also be going into, at the end of the podcast, some of the uh, news of things that are going on at the time, uh, such as, you know, how the new Capenna set comes out next week, and we can give some, you know, thoughts about that. So that's going to be the format. Um, we're you know, new time podcasters. So uh, hopefully we'll be entertaining for you. And uh, like I said, I hope you read along with us because these books are a riot. <laughs> They're torture. They're fun. They're such a good, wholesome family activity. I'm dying inside. Uh, they're, they're fine. Um, and as a note, so the, in terms of what order we're reading and why we're reading in the order that we are, uh, I scoured the internet to find a to-read list because, God, there's so much material. Uh, but I eventually found a very helpful list that has everything ever published, Magic the Gathering, story, lore, etc., in what they consider chronological order. And that's not release order, as in published release. 
This is chronological order in terms of the timeline of the universe. So starting at the very beginning of the timeline, we have a book that came out in 1999 called The Thran, which is an introduction to Yogmoth and the Phyrexians, who are a pretty big deal in the universe. I think that's... I don't know if you've heard of them. I don't know if you've heard of Phyrexians. Um, and they're good, good oil. Uh, they've got some fantastic oil. But uh, so The Thran is an introduction to the universe, and I... I think a pretty interesting place to start because in my particular case, I had heard the name Yogmoth. I knew he became a big bad, but I had no other knowledge than that. And then you come into this book and Lord is the hysterical juxtaposition for what they like portray him as initially. We'll get there. But yeah, so that's the first book we're starting with. Um, and like I said, feel free to join along. Um, the Thread is a very expensive physical copy book because it hasn't been printed in like forever, I don't think. But ebooks are available. There's um, also a um, audiobook on YouTube, which I have been using, a fan-made audiobook. Let me, uh, we'll link them in the description so that you can listen along if you'd like to. But that has been kind of a godsend for me. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll we'll link that in the we'll link that in some podcast description or another. We'll, we'll find a way to link it, but check it out. And I think from here we're just gonna get on in there and show you what this is gonna be all about. All right, starting off with the summary. Well, we were talking about summaries, but we're actually before we even get into the chapter, going to talk about a few kind of interesting preface notes we found looking at things. Now, I found one that I think is just interesting, but you found some that are... I have I have found two that have particularly bothered me. <laughs> um, and it's not even before the prologue, so... We Why got not get in there? We got on the... On the copyright page, we start off and me being an illustrator, I'm like, oh, I wonder who the artist is and if they did any cards. So I look it up and it's spelt in at least the audiobook version as Gary Rydell. And I tried to look it up and I ended up finding a deceased Scottish footballer. Mm -hmm. um, and I was very confused. <laughs> I mean, you never know a football player could also be an artist. But, but they had passed before 1999. A ghost football player, <laughs> card artist, and illustrator. <laughs> so I thought, I thought it was a little bit suspect. So I went on to Scryfall and just searched up Gary. And there I found that it was misspelt. Uh, Gary Rudell, who is the author... Uh, <laughs> author wrote it, no. Illustrator of the... Uh, front cover image, and he has some really, actually, really cool, uh, like, Breakthrough is a really great card that he did, um, but I thought, I found it just such a, I was very upset on Gary's behalf. I will confirm in the ebook I have, it was also spelled Rydal. I'm willing to bet that that is a typo, and not only that, I challenge, if there are any listeners out there that have a physical copy of the Thran, let us know, is this poor man incorrectly credited in every version of this novel? Please let me know, because I need to know if he's rightly attributed. <laughs> and then, after the copyright page, we have the dedication. Did you have anything? You know, I also looked at the dedication, and that's actually what I was going to talk about. So let's... 
Let's start by saying uh, J. Robert King is the author of this book, and I think uh, did some other ones as well. Um, and so I was looking at the, the acknowledgments, right, where um, he explicitly says, in memory of Dmitry Shostakovich, who survived a real-life Yagmoth. When I first read that, <laughs> when I first read that, I was like, I didn't recognize the name immediately. No, I didn't either. So I, I stopped and I was like, are they talking about Hitler? Turns out, yes, sort of. <laughs> they were talking about Soviet Russia. Um, Dmitry Shostakovich was a composer for uh, essentially Soviet Russia in the height of the Cold War, kind of more so than the Hitler era. And I... I guess there's technically some controversy and or debate about whether or not he was a protester to the regime. I don't think there's a debate. I think he very explicitly was a protester to the regime and he has some comments, like quotes to the matter about it. And so I find why I wanted to talk about that acknowledgement at all is actually um, within the the context of this book, because as I mentioned before, I've already read this and this is my second read through. Uh, It's kind of interesting knowing that he had that intent in mind when writing this book, that he clearly, in multiple ways, wanted to make parallels to fascist regimes. He wanted to make parallels to, you know, the rise of power and, uh, you know, what that looks like and what that means for the people around and involved. Um, But, like, man, the comment who survived a real-life Yawgmoth sends me, puts me in the ground. (laughs) It's... Not a great look, Mr. King, if I'm honest. Did you know Hitler was the Thanos of the uh, (laughs) real life universe? Did you know that this sexy, I won't go into it yet, but this beautiful, beautiful, oily man. Well, um, (laughs) I hate to say problematic, but it's got a few problems with it. Like... You know, disclaimer, this book was written in the 90s, and um, even if it was late 90s, fantasy of that era has problems, and and we'll be kind of, you know, mentioning when this comes up that we go, I will make the statement of despite some of the very hysterical problems in this novel, this is still one of the better written 90s fantasies I've ever actually put my eyes on. Yikes. Yikes. That's a yikes. Um, But real talk, despite it all. I still enjoyed reading this book, and I cannot wait for you to experience. Oh God! What All I'm right. in here. It's it's the same enjoyment I get out of like watching older Godzilla movies that are just schlock. And I know there are some people who are yelling, "And how dare you call the schlock? It's schlock, but it's good schlock. You know what I mean? That's why you watch it. It's delicious trash. It's delicious trash, and we eat it because we like trash. And this book's kind of that. <laughs> so. Should we get into it? Let's let's go ahead and get into the prologue. Let's get into the prologue. Uh, this is um, part one, the city. There's a few parts in this book, and there are there's the prologue and intermissions, and all of the prologues and intermissions are technically timeline wise at the end of the novel. They're little snap shots of what is to come so uh let's let's get in there i I wrote up this uh whole nice summary hopefully i I do this prologue justice thank you it is hot in mageddon defile hardy dwarves arrogant humans and languished elves march across this volcanic desert 
flanked by Viachino lizardmen, minotaurs, and artificial mantis warriors, covered by 300 floating war caravels. This is the Thran Alliance, and they have come together to fight one man, who's totally not Sauron. This isn't a Lord of the Rings reference. Shut up. What are you talking about? Shut up. (laughs) For the unlearned reader, Yawgmoth is evil and a punk-ass bitch. Six months prior, he bombed his own people at Phenon just to keep them from joining the enemy. He is literally just a demon. He's the worst demon ever. The scene ends with them rounding the bend on Mageddon Defile to see the city of Halcyon sitting atop a volcanic extrusion. This isn't Mordor. Shut up. It's not. It used to be the capital of the Thran Empire, but now Yawgmoth controls it. The army, seeing the end in sight, succumb to war cries as though trying to summon the great demon from his lair. Yagmoth sits in an armored sedan chair. <laughs> I need to... <laughs> the transition's that abrupt, I swear. And I had to look up what a sedan chair was because I'd never heard this kind of chair called that before. It's, I was thinking a car. I also thought it was a car and I was like, why would sedans exist in the Magic the <laughs> Gathering universe? It is like those litters that like servants would carry royalty on. Oh. Yeah. So like you think of like, you know, those chairs on like the sticks and you've got yeah. like the servants on each side. It's like one of those, but it's also a hovercraft. <laughs> Man, I love the dissonance. Oh, this of- is all taking place in Lord of the Rings. Yogg is sitting in his armored sedan chair, waiting in a ditch with his Phyrexian army, unseen to the approaching forces. He does not answer the summons of the war cries because he's not a demon. He is a god. <laughs> Literal, <laughs> actual lie. I. Anybody who's listening in on this who has not read the book, like, I swear you're gonna think they're making this up. No, I promise it's written like this. He's a god. Uh, he knows that he is a god because he's just so frighteningly good at war and he's so good at killing people. That's all you need to be a god. It's really all. None of my foes will survive this, he says to himself out loud to the ears of nobody to else. Literally nobody. Each of his quips. To himself. To himself. To himself. He's alone here. Like, I cannot stress enough that Yogg is sitting there in a ditch in his sedan chair, monologuing about the Thran Alliance internally, and then responding to his own internal monologue. (laughs) I try not to think of it as sad, but it's a little sad. It's a little sad. So turns out... Uh, he has a fuck ton of Phyrexian warships hiding under the glaring light of the sun. They swoop down and just completely start destroying the war caravels. I think the impression here is that they are fantasy fighter jets. Like, I don't have a better way of describing them, even with the knowledge of later what they are in the book. That's definitely what I have in my notes uh, Mm -hmm. about that. Yeah, so yeah, he just rains hell down with fantasy fighter jets. Uh, Yagmoth hits the that was easy button before realizing the Alliance has salvaged some of his Phyrexian guns and are turning them on his planes. So he triggers the ditch attack. Phyrexians fall into the army to the sound of screams and scraping metal. 
At one point, he mentions that the things waiting in the ditch are called sand crabs, and I just... <laughs> I, I, I want a crab rave. I want that to be playing over the soundtrack. I think that's a fantastic name. He uses what's definitely not a tablet to summon the rest of the Phyrexian army. There is mention, too, of the Halcyon army, which I must stress are allied with Phyrexia, but are not yet Phyrexian. They fall on the Thran Alliance, and there is blood and pain. Uh, Yogg comments on how badly the Thran Alliance is losing with a trace of false sadness in his voice. <laughs> He's putting on a show. He's putting on a show for no one! No one's even seen it For his yet. own amusement. He's just going to Unhinged. town. He's having a time. Um, the elves start summoning twisters to some effect against the army, and in response, Yogg summons the behemoth. This is not capitalized in the book, but it should have been. Uh, it tears through the elves because it is a big metal kaiju, and nobody on Middle-earth is prepared for a big metal kaiju. Uh, then we get this absolutely fantastic line. It's maybe my second favorite line in the prologue. <laughs> They'll be out of elves soon enough, Yogg tells himself. Elves fight like popped corn. I'd like to see the behemoth have a real challenge. <laughs> popped corn. These elves fight like not popcorn, popped corn. I because need to we, stress. We can't have regular popcorn because that's a human like that's a that's a modern thing. that's, that's a us thing. thing. No, this is popped corn. We must it's stress. Different. It's different. Uh, but in a twist. The artificial mantis warriors prove to be a match for the behemoth. Yogg mentions they must be Glacian's design. And here we have the first mention of who I affectionately refer to as the man who is to be cucked. He's also a cunt. He's... We'll get there. <laughs> the Halcyon army tries to free the behemoth from the mantis swarm and eat shit in the process because they are made of flesh and none of the things involved in that scuffle are made of flesh. Yogg drops... Maybe the best line in the prologue. Damned Halcyite guards, they all ought to be Phyrexians. <laughs> Who's like who talks like this? Who, you'll you will find out more that I don't think Mr. King has ever talked to somebody or no has had a conversation because these dialogues and quips and whatever are something else. Alright, I've got one more paragraph before we can get to discussing this. In the final pages, Yogg reveals his current plan out loud to anyone who might be listening. Which is no one. Who's that he's about to go on the offensive while the Thran Alliance is distracted. He's aiming for the Null Sphere, which controls every artifact creature on Dominaria. If he controls that, nobody will be able to stand in his way. And see. So, oh my god. Coming in on this as an opener is wild. We, we're, we were having the comment at the time that Yogmoth literally gives me Skeletor vibes. Yeah, if, <laughs> I, I just needed the <laughs> I can hear him just yang after these elves. They fight like Pommet Corn. That's what it feels like. There's it's the way that this part is laid out is that we have grotesque depictions of war 
and then a quippy one-liner. Ad nauseum. Ad nauseum. <laughs> and it's... It's a great look for this book uh, as a first impression. It's literally the intro to Fellowship of the Ring, but instead of Sauron, it's just Skeletor. And Skeletor's also actively taunting the army as they eat shit, but nobody sees him. Speaking about the... what is, It's the Thran Alliance, correct? It is the Thran Alliance. Um, what, can we talk about the elves? How, and how they're described here. <laughs> okay. <Can> we? <laughs> so they, they go to great lengths describing this desert that they're walking through. And then also how much the elves just can't handle it. Yeah, like they spend a suspicious amount of time just going like, oh yeah, the elves are, are just fucking... They're useless. They're, like, so lithe and they're out of their element. These elves are pussies. Who the fuck likes Legolas? Get out of this house. They were, it, like, I have several, like, my notes go from the elves are practically melting out of their element. Um, do they hate elves? (laughs) To, why do they hate elves? Why does J. Robert King hate elves so much who hurt you there were it's just so many instances of elf hate (laughs) and there's no reason there's really no reason they don't even play an important part in this story i'm pretty sure like no i can tell you definitively like they play as much of a role as any of the other races in the thran alliance and it's just no j robert king has to make sure you know that these elves are punk ass bitches that they can't handle the heat they're the weak link in this alliance they're the weak link in this alliance until they're explicitly not because they're the only ones that could handle like the phyrexians at first and that's the whole reason the behemoth was there so my impression is j robert king thinks they're a bunch of cheaters man don't bring a (laughs) don't bring it Elven tribal deck to this guy. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, he he will rage quit and also just play a yog deck. <sighs> as as somebody who is played against you your yog deck, I have gone to great lengths to make my yog deck not like toxic, and I've gotten thirty percent of the way there. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get. There. We'll get there. We'll talk about that later, but. Do you have any other thoughts on this prologue? Yeah. What a ride it was. As as kind of closing thoughts, I am very convinced that you can get the same effect by imagining a small child in one of those turtle sandboxes with a bunch of different toys, like remote control bugs, spaceships, like their Star Wars toys and like anything else that they can find and just this kid crashing them together. Yeah. And you'll get this pretty much the same effect. Yeah, that's that's pretty on point for this. So that's that's our that's our prologue. That's our prologue. Let's get into the actual book. Chapter one. Hello. Chapter one. Nine years before the Phyrexian War. Let's let's get into here. I'm gonna wait for you to finish drinking water because I don't want to make you spit take. (laughs) Alright. Glacian fucking loves machines. (laughs) 
He sure does. He loves manor rigs. He loves rocks and darkness. He's the best artificer in the history of artificers. Nobody knows machines like him, and nobody knows or understands him like the machines. Nobody. Literally nobody. Especially not these poor goblins who are running this rig. They're simple creatures. But the machinery here was actually designed to be run by goblins, because nobody, you know, cares about goblin labor rights. Uh, They're small enough to fit into crawl spaces humans cannot and will not. And on top of that, the Halcyon city above, they're way too preppy to get their nails dirty. And then the prisoners of the cave of the dam are uh, too busy being prisoners of the caves of the damned. Um, Only goblins, which is fine because Glacian actually likes goblins. He's not goblin racist. He just uses them for his servants. It's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. Sure. It's fine. We'll go with that one. We'll go with that one. Uh, As Glacian meanders through his engineering volcano lab, he laments that his brain is just too good at coming up with inventions. His hands can't build them fast enough. Oh, and he needs money. But that's okay, because he recently got money. And everything, everything has built to this. The orb. The The fucking orb. Perfect, perfect shiny orb. It is a perfectly smooth crystal, 20 feet in diameter and weighing over a hundred tons. To Glacian, it is beautiful. It is the only beautiful thing he knows. The only only beautiful thing in his life. (laughs) The goblins are trying to roll it to its final destination. And uh, here we get one of my favorite lines in this whole thing. Uh, Glacian had strictly forbidden workers from being caught underneath orbs. <laughs> I forbid you from having an OSHA violation. Please stop dying. Please stop dying. I forbid it. You're going to get fired if you die. Um, the orb. is a really good man. This he's, Glacian. He's such a good boss. A plus 10 out of 10. So this orb is about to be charged with radiation and light and then shattered into a thousand perfect power stones. And power stones are what power the city of Halcyon above. So Glacian's just running a power plant, but he's doing so more efficiently than any of his competitors because he is the best. He's so good at everything he does. It, like, just, this was his very mind. Immense and perfect. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> um, I'm also going to draw attention to a scene of a goblin sniffles. He broke his stick rolling the orb. Which I was really upset about. This is important because I feel bad for the goblin. <laughs> Like, there's one shred of humanity in these poor goblins. I feel so bad for him. He's just crying. Glacian's like, get over it. Like, but it was his stick. It was a stick, you monster. Alright. The orb is moved into a charging chamber, which is meant to push power into it from the sun and the volcan- volcanic center beneath the earth. It uses mirror arrays to do this, but to be honest with you, I'm kind of picturing that intro scene from Half-Life 1. We've got Gordon, we've got Glacian, similar names. (laughs) Exactly the same person, basically. Basically. Uh, The orb eventually gets so much power that it shatters into thousands of perfect, flawless gems. As it's supposed to. As it's supposed to. There's a small scene where he mentions that if this fucks up, it would have blown up all of uh, of Halcyon. (laughs) Which is a great kind of nonchalant comment to make while you know making an atom bomb but don't worry he's perfect and this works fine every time it works 
They have thousands of power stones, and one will serve to lift the aerial temple his wife is building. Because, oh yeah, did he mention he has a wife? And I bet he loves that wife more than he loves his beautiful mind. <laughs> I'm sure of it. Like, this is near the end of this segment. It's literally the end of the chapter when he even Mention mentions the wife. Like, holy fuck. Okay, we'll talk about this later, but all right, he has a wife. Glacian goes to this new mound of power stones and he holds the largest power stone aloft, triumphantly crying out that his wife's project will be complete. His wife, who also loves and understands him and totally exists, and oh god, did he just get stabbed. The twisted <laughs> little man rammed that perfect stone into Glacian's belly. Yeah, so... End uh, quote. Uh, an unnamed who super totally won't be relevant later prisoner from the Cave of the Damned is somehow here. He stabs Glacian with one of the power stones on the floor, and then Glacian asks his wife to forgive him before slumping to the floor. For what? Bleeding on the power stones. <laughs> yeah. The scene cuts to Rebek, who has heard that her husband, whom she loves so much and uh, thinks very highly of and thinks of him every day, got stabbed in the Manor Rigs riot. She runs to him to find that healing magic, for some reason is not working on him, and is in fact making him worse. Eventually, Glacian uses his perfect effervescent minds to tell them to remove the power stone in his wound manually rather than with magic, because the power stone is preventing magic from working on it. Uh, usually, healers use magic to do literally anything, including removing objects from stab wounds, so the healers protest, but then Revik just says, no, fuck this, this is my husband, reaches her nasty little feeners in and wrenches it out, allowing Glacian's wounds to be able to be healed up. He mentions, however, that the wound feels deep, and that it might not be as easy to heal as they think it is. In the distance, power stone implosions rock the city as the riot continues. Glacian makes mention that his experiment must have failed, because only an imperfect stone could have stabbed him. Yeah. And the, the line, Glacian bleakly glad, bleakly glad, <laughs> Glacian bleakly gasped. What perfect stone could have stabbed me? The amount of times. <laughs> the sh <laughs> my eyes have rolled to the back of my head. Oh, mine are permanently back there now. <laughs> because we go so far into how perfect Glacian is, but how hated he is. But he's so smart. He's... The smartest smart boy. Like, I think I'm going to have a real talk because with the exception of one character, I would say J. Robert King has a problem not writing Mary Sue's. Um, and that's the unnamed prisoner who I've just mentioned is definitely not written as a Mary Sue. Uh, so he can write two kinds of characters. Mary Sue's and Starscream. <laughs> that's my, uh, that's my hot take. Oh uh, my God. It's, can you, I need to say how jarring it was to have Rebecca just go in and rip that stone out of him because she pushes past the healers to be like, Whoa! Imagine you're in like an operating room. Well, I guess you would be in the conscious. Imagine you're a nurse in an operating room working on a patient 
and the patient's partner just runs into the operating room like, y'all are doing it wrong, and reaches in and takes out the foreign object, but was correct to do so. <laughs> it was, it's, this chapter is a little jarring. Well, I think every chapter's been jarring. I think we're just gonna keep being jarred. Again, with the, um, to go with the, we don't know if Mr. King has had a real-life discussion in real life yet. (laughs) Um, do you know where he is? Where Glacian is? Glacian, the woman asked placidly with her white robes. Yes, Glacian, the genius of Halcyon, Rebecca insisted, clinging to the woman. Do you know where he is? (laughs) We know he's the genius. You spent the last three pages telling us. He, no, Glacian spent the past three pages telling no one but himself that he was the greatest. You know, the genius, my husband. I, I, I want to like Rebecca. I, I want to give her so many, like, the benefit of the doubt, but no. With the Funniest part about this actually is as you go more and more into the book, like Rebecca's like a, a figurehead for Halcyon. Like she's well known, everyone knows her. And then Glacian like made Halcyon function. Like all of the shit in the city he and Rebecca have invented. Literal and this, power. Couple. This nurse who must be new as hell. She's just like, who? I don't know who you're talking about. And that's like if like fucking Michelle Obama walked into the doctor's uh, like like yeah, to the hospital. You know, it's my like, husband. Have anyone seen Barack? And they're like, who's Barack Obama? That's <laughs> like it's it's certainly <laughs> it's not great. Is what it is. It's not good. Oh. And that's our first chapter of our real story. That's our introduction to two of the three. Um, I hate to call them protagonists. You are made to hate them. They they do not describe Glacian in a positive light. And Period. I almost think that was intentional. Like I said, going from my knowledge of where this book ends up going, I genuinely don't think you're meant to exit this book liking anyone. <laughs> yeah, nobody nobody so far has been um except for that that Twisted little man, as they called him. Oh, do you want me? Do you want me to tell you? Twisted thing? little man rammed the perfect stone into Glacian's belly. The twisted little man is great. Do you want me to tell you his name yet, or do you want to? Gix, be- right? Yeah, it's Gix. All right, you already know this. So, so Gix is also pretty infamous because Gix uh, shows up in a few books, um, and very explicitly, my favorite part about the order we're going to be doing things in. So, we're going to read the Thran, and then we're going to go straight to the Brothers War book. Which, oh boy, that's a book. Brothers War was written before the Thran, despite the fact that Brothers War comes after the Thran. And you can tell that they retconned the shit out of Phyrexians in the fucking meanwhile, because Gix is described as being just a literal demon. And I know I joked about that with the prologue where they're calling Yogg a demon, right? And the the demon theme for the Phyrexians carries for a good portion of these books, because it's a good analogy. Um, But originally, like, I look at that and I think... Phyrexia was not originally the Borg. Like, I'd actually be very curious if it was, because so much of this seems like they're just playing off of actual, like, 
Christian demonology themes, and it's like, uh, Phyrexia is just hell, and like, yeah, they also happen to be made of machine and metal, because like, the artificial is tied with the satanic in a lot of ways for a lot of hyper-religious people, you know? I would love, you know, any, any Magic the Gathering lore aficionados and or people who actually work for Wizards of the Coast to do this shit, talk to me. What was the transition? Like, where did we go before we settled on the concept of Phyrexians being just the magic Borg? Because I'd be curious to know. Yeah. Anyway, Gix. Uh, Gix is just a twisted, twisted little man. Just a twisted little man. Shout out to Spice 8 Rack for his really good videos. Uh, yes. It's the way I know this. Yes, Spice 8 Rack is another uh, fantastic channel. Go, go, go watch him. Um, but yeah, he uh, is probably the only character I actually kind of have any positive feelings for in this book, and that's saying a lot because I do too. Because he stabbed Glacian. Yeah, I mean, first of all, a plus. Uh, <laughs> great start, great, great a+. entrance. Just a fantastic, flawless entrance. Fantastic. Um, also, I when I was doing my initial read through of the Thran, I was posting on our. Um, on our discord with all our mates, right. Giving my impressions on it. And it was just incredibly funny to me that like Gix is the, um, the actual communist revolution, the embodiment of it. It's just, ah, it's comrade. Ah, comrades. Um, but we'll, we'll get there as we get into Gix chapters. It's going to be a while before you see him again, but, uh, you know, it's good to make mention of a good little twisted man, this good little twisted man whom, whom we adore. Uh, do you have any closing thoughts for this chapter one? Um, Glacian's a cunt. <laughs> yeah, Glacian's a cunt. There ain't nothing more to it. Yeah, and I was happy that he was stabbed. Yeah. Uh, well, good thank- chapter. Thankfully, you're going to get to see this man suffer for quite a bit. Oh, more. yeah, he gets, he gets what's coming to him. He does. Well, let's get into chapter two. Uh, and we're about to get it. Chapter 2 begins with Yogmoth walking across the desert to Halcyon. He has been summoned from his banishment, but no transportation has been provided for him. That's okay, though, because Yogmoth is shredded. <laughs> He's young, full of life, muscular, taller than the other Thran, with long, luscious black hair. He saw a bunch of preps and he raised his middle finger at them. <laughs> Um, Yogmoth is a romance novel protagonist. I cannot stress enough how much the book emphasizes in this chapter and continually throughout the book how sexy this man is. May I read the exact description? I may, I have it right here. Oh, go for it. Actually, go for it. He didn't mind. Yogmoth was young, only 35, well-muscled and taller than most other Thran. His tanned skin withstood even the blazing desert sun, and thick black hair formed a natural visor over his eyes. Dirty and tattered travel ropes hid a body tuned to hard labor and deprivation. (laughs) Is the actual (laughs) written words to describe our villain... Like I swear, I I feel like I have I have seen smut that's not this detailed. <laughs> they were they go in on him, just like wow, look at this man, look at this beast, look at this actual gorgeous heartthrob. Let's okay. 
they did they did well on the card art. They, you know, he's pretty handsome in the card art. Yeah, he's only only thirty five. He's only thirty five. That's young. You that's, know that makes me feel better because I'm I'll be thirty next year and I'm still young. Yeah, we're still we, we still got that. We still got at least another four, six years before we're old. Is that how it works? That's how it works. When you're not young anymore, you're old. There's no middle ground. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah, I thought we were already old. Only to teenagers. Fair. I I've been told I'm old by a few teenagers. <laughs> I feel old when I'm. I've been told teenagers. I'm old by a few teenagers because I still own MP3s. <laughs> so that, that, is, that is that is a little old though. That is a little old. All right, back to the book summary. Let's let's uh, get back on track here. Yog used to be part of a group of medical healers called eugenicists. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about that name in a bit. Uh, they politically warred with artificers until they lost and were banished from Halcyon. Um, so Halcyon hasn't been exposed to any of the physical sciences since then, because eugenicists are just doctors as far as this early description of them entails. And like, this is not to say Yogg doesn't maybe fall into some eugenics, as we'll later learn, but like, I can't stress enough that doctors are just called eugenicists in this world. Like, J. Robert King, come and find me. <laughs> um, all right, so Halcyon just uses magic for literally everything and nothing else. Uh, Yogg and his 200 followers were banished for five years, as that was supposed to be a punishment for an unorthodox approach to healing. But unfortunately for them, living amongst the world only furthered Yogg's knowledge of diseases, because it turns out if you're not living in Halcyon, you're living in squalor and filth. Um, that's which, where, that's, which that, that's where disease is. That's where disease is. Exactly. Um, I want to stress at this point that the book completely portrays Yogg as a part of a collective of doctors who were shunned for being doctors. Now, point of view is to be taken into account here, but for a lot of this book, you don't really get a different point of view. And having read the book, like, Yogg committed actual war crimes during his banishment. Like, fair. Like, actual war crimes. This doesn't even get mentioned for, like, half the book. When you read this book, you will spend the first half empathizing because Yogg comes in and goes, they kicked me out for saying that you should get vaccinated. And then everyone in Halcyon is like, fuck vaccines. <laughs> like, oh god, not the vaccines. Not the 5Gs. <laughs> like, that's just how the intro and maybe first half of this book is written. And it's really jarring because Yogg is the villain. He's the big bad. I don't want to empathize with your big bad. Why did you write him like this? He's the only empathetic character here. He's the only one. So Yogg mentions that he's learned what really causes diseases. Bacteria. This is a man who has learned what cells are in a fantasy universe. Good for him. Good, good job. Good job. Um, turns out Glacian is suffering from his stab wound still, and nobody in Halcyon knows how to fix him. Since Glacian is the resonant genius, Halcyon has gotten desperate and called on Yogg to try fixing him. It's been a year since the incident, mind you. It's been a year. This is last-ditch effort. Last-ditch effort. Yogg definitely feels, like, kind of correctly smug about this. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, they're coming back to me about this. Where does it bring you? Back to me. <laughs> Idiots. Um, he reaches the gates of Halcyon, which are bordered by two giant statues of the perfect man and woman. Yogg comments that this is an idealized form and not really what a good or perfect body would look like. And you know what? He has a fucking point. Um, well, can we... Um, I, I have this because I thought it was a very interesting line. Yeah. Yogg Moth laughed darkly to himself. 
He had seen human bodies inside and out, exploring every inch. Even healthy bodies never resembled these perfect figures. <laughs> it's like writing that line between there's something fucked up in here and well, you kind of have a point though. Hey, Mr. King? Are you are are you hard for Yogg? Oh my god. Oh my god, are are you? I think he might be. I think he might be. I think J. Robert King, come and find me. Should uh <laughs> She'd come and find me so he can uh, have some confessionals. Yeah, he, he, needs, he needs to explain a few things about some of these lines. Straight men don't write like this. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Uh, all right. So the gates to Halcyon have a stream running across the threshold to clean the shoes of travelers as they come in. Convenient. Yogg also notes that this dirties the feet of travelers as they leave. Symbolism. <laughs> Rebek is there waiting for him. It is revealed she was the one who got Yogg's banishment revoked because she wants her husband cured. Yogg gives her a dazzling, gleaming smile. No, I'm not making this up. There's like two lines spent on this. A glinting smile filled Yogmoth's face. It was a dazzling smile, and he knew it. I love how I have these notes. And then you come in with the actual lines and they're like identical. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, when I'm going through it, I'm taking these exact lines and making notes about them. But the lines themselves are so poignant and <laughs> have so much in them. They just, they speak from themselves. I, like I said, I think I've seen smut that's not as detailed as this. Anyway, Rebek introduces herself and Yogg recognizes the name out loud, complimenting her as he does so. Rebek blushes like a schoolgirl. <laughs> uh, turns out, the river across the gate was her design, as were the statues outside. About half of the things in Halcyon were Rebek's, I think, give or take. The river across the threshold is part of a ritual allowing travelers to rise past the commoner's mud that they came from. Some bougie shit. Yogg comments that no little stream could wash all the filth off his body. <laughs> So in an act of completely platonic nature, Rebek offers to wash his feet. And also massages them for some reason. She's fucking in there, guys. You have no idea. Like, go on. I, I can't. I can't. <laughs> uh, as Rebek is massaging and washing his feet, Yogg asks about the power stones that power the city, and Rebek mentioned her husband Glacian made those designs. Uh, and then we get to the funniest part of this chapter. Before he can comment further, Yogg slips on the wet marble and Rebek catches him in her arms. This is all completely and totally platonic. <laughs> yeah, there's no sexual tension here, y'all. Don't worry about it. None. These two explicitly flirt as Rebek starts walking him to, guess what's back? The sedan chair. <laughs> yeah, they... I just wish they had a different name. Yeah. Um, as they ascend into the sky in this chair, Yogg gets his first glimpse of Halcyon proper. It is a gleaming, clean city, powered by artifacts and power stones, and with a motif of always ascending upward. Uh, there's quite a bit of heavy-handed symbolism here. Um, so while they're in this sedan chair, uh, which is also power stone charged... Um, Yogg kind of starts asking some questions about it, because he's never seen anything like that before, and uh, learns that it can literally just fly around like a hovercraft. Um, and 
there's a bit of a segue in which as they're flying around, Rebic tells Yogg that the infirmary is going to have all the tools he needs to help Glacian out, to which Yogg counters that they probably don't have knives, bone saws, curved needles, tissue clamps, leeches, shunts, opiates, soporifics, spirits. That's verbatim. Literally everything a doctor <laughs> needs. But... Everything. Like, I, a medical researcher, I, I see what I'm, I'm, I'm missing the soporifics. We've got the opiates, we've got the leeches, uh, but that's why. Yeah, have... the, I mean, we spent so much on the leeches, I, I don't know where to get everything else. <laughs> yeah, a tweet that's like, please help me budget my sanity. <laughs> and it's just like $3,000 on leeches. <laughs> yeah, that's me right now. Um, got some fucking humors up in this bitch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, after this, Yogg once again starts questioning the sedan chair in action and wonders what happens if the power stones fail. Rebek says they never fail, and Yogg grimly insists that one day they will. That's not foreshadowing. It's not foreshadowing. Don't worry about it. Uh, as they fly, Yogg learns about the Mana Rigs riot and that the power stone implosion was likely caused by an untouchable, who totally wasn't Gix's blood, landing on an unstable stone. Yogg deduces that they are using these stones despite the fact that blood was on them, though Rebek insists they cleaned them. <laughs> Yogg is skeptical. Yeah. I'm also skeptical. Uh, he makes the very correct claim that they don't really know how power stones work. They're operating on blind faith, and one day that faith will backfire on them. He puts a period on this by claiming, This is the reason why her genius husband is dying of a wasting disease. It is then that Glacian is rolled in and introduces himself as the genius husband who is dying of a wasting disease. <laughs> Verbatim. Like, that's actually from the book, and I, I laughed out loud at that line. It was really very good. This is the first time J. Robert King has written dialogue. <laughs> yeah, this, this, this... I will give him that he can do scenery and descriptions very well. He can. They are very... It really does paint a picture, and it really does feel good to read that. But then he has to have characters speak to one another. That's clearly his flaw. And, like, I would even go so far as to say that that was a flaw of fantasy at the time, too. Because a lot of people will joke about fantasy books of, you know, that era. And even now, where it's like, oh, fantasy, they spend, like, ten pages writing the description before they get to anything meaningful. And I... Guarantee that was probably because that's kind of just how Tolkien wrote and everybody wanted to emulate that. But like, man, does that just lead to things like this, where it's like, here's a guy who can write description and that's his key and he needed a second author to write people. This is why lands are so important in magic is because... <laughs> Wait, where are we going with this? <laughs> because they'll spend like 10 pages writing about the scenery and like, lands are so important, you know... It's not even half wrong. <laughs> I, you know, real talk, can't wait for us to get to Ice Age, where they actually start acknowledging the land-to-mana uh, pipeline. Oh, shit. Or mana-to-land-to-person pipeline, because they actually do spend quite a bit of time on that. And so, yeah, no, you're, you're onto something. I got I got something in here. That's something. It's almost like lands are, in fact, important to the card game. Imagine. But why can I never draw them? Because <laughs> you I don't mean, have enough. I don't have enough lands. All right, so... Continuing to the summary. Glacian's rolled in, introduces himself. Yaga and Glacian clearly don't like each other, and Glacian has a well, long roundabout way of saying he'd rather die than have Yog work on him, but Yog works on him anyway, even managing to lighten the mood with a few jokes, and I'm gonna get to that scene after the summary, because the actual best scene in this chapter is one we have to read out loud. Uh, but after that scene happens, 
Yogg begins taking biological samples from Glacian, uh, you know, skin cuts, uh, stuff from his horrible oozing pores, just any anything like an actual doctor would do if they were trying to identify a disease. Um, and also begins the process of quarantining him so nobody else, especially Rebic, will get sick. Um, though there are people that kind of, like, Glacian protests that. He's like, oh, what, you're going to keep my wife from me and also let me die of a wasting disease? And Yes. Yes, that's kind of, Actually. How, that's kind of how quarantining works. Oh, can I make a, a note here that while under Yogmoth's uh, manhandling, um, Glacian makes a point to say, I was among the elders who voted for your original banishment. Would Yogmoth not have known that? Why would you say this to somebody whose life is in you? He's trying to help you, Glacian. He's out here out of you some reason. Him. Like that only makes Glacian look worse. Yeah, it's like I was I I, I banished I was the one whose vote was the one that banished you. And Yagmoth's like, dude, dude, I'm I'm trying to help you. Like, like, bruh. What are we doing? <laughs> bruh. Please. So the scene ends with Rebic taking him to a nearby apartment that she's set up for him. And uh, she very explicitly, like, they still are kind of flirting with each other. But that's the end of chapter two. And like I said, before we get, like, super in, come come with me on a journey. I'm I'm pulling up my ebook because the scene actually had me um, in stitches. Please let me read it. Oh, you want to read it? Okay. I would like to. Okay, let me um, let me make sure I find it. Okay. So there's the starting line. Make it dramatic. <clears throat> Go in there. Show me. Show me the goods. Can you lean over? I lean over for no man. Growled Glacian. As soon you will discover. Then is the bed. Yogmoth said. Glacian was suddenly in his arms. Yogmoth's movements were so quick and assured. There was no time. For objection, he conveyed his patient onto his belly on the bed and drew the rope summarily from his back, summarily back from the man's body. Glacian lay there, small and panting. His ribs showed through flesh the color of mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, and then it goes into how, how sick he is. And I'm like, oh, if not for that last sentence, this is, I've, I've definitely read smut less explicit than this. <laughs> I I bend for no man. I lean for no man, as you'll soon discover. And he's just like, okay. Yogg's like, no, I'm topping tonight. <laughs> and you're gonna take it. Let's see my note. What do I have written down? So so much of this is me reading going, what more needs to be said? This, this just writes itself. Okay, so you as a former Catholic, washing of feet... <laughs> That's symbolic, but it was weirdly sensual. So it was weirdly sensual because I think it was supposed to be sensual. And like, if you're looking at the symbology, this like it makes Rebic Jesus. <laughs> like, like, 
I don't know a better way of saying that. Of um, it's oh, the oh, uh, no. yeah, no, like like falling with with the, with the lore, the Catholic lore for this this <laughs> this lore. Um, no the Catholic harsh Catholic undertones of magic. The Gathering. Exactly. Um, there's so many, like, weirdly anti-Catholic sentiments in this book, actually. Um, but, like, no, it's... If I had to make the parallel, because this is... This isn't and won't be the last media to have a symbolic washing of the feet scene, which is kind of more, like, relating to Jesus and Judas the Betrayer. And actually, if you look at it in this light of, like, Rebek as a Jesus figure and Yogg as a Judas figure, it's like, oh, okay, like, Yogg as a Judas figure actually checks out. And, like, that's probably where King was going for it, but it's just still such a weird metaphor to kind of throw out here because, like, Judas betrayed Jesus and then, like, the didn't become Hitler. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. It's the kind of thing where it's like, that's kind of a weird comparison to make. Um, but like, I I don't know. I think the intent here was maybe more to be sensual. I, I think it is, as much as I <laughs> joked about it, Rebek and Yogg have a thing for each other from oh, yeah, like, like day minute one. Because like, she ends like one scene with, stick with me, Yogg Moth, and the city is yours. Like by, and like, hooking her arm in his. Mm-hmm. And rightfully, the chapter ends with Yogmoth like, saying the same thing. Yeah, he says it back to her, like, you said stick with me and uh, the city will be yours? Well, I guess I'm sticking with you. And that's, I think, like, the final line of the of the chapter. That's a, which was a, I, I really liked. I actually liked that. Like, for somebody with really poor dialogue, that was very, very good. It was charming. And... It's kind of funny because, like, especially these early chapters, Yogg and Rebek are kind of very charming with each other. And it's the kind of thing where it's just like, oh, oh, I wish I could feel bad for Glacian, but why should I? He's the best artificer. His brain's so huge. He's a whole cunt. (laughs) Glacian just spends the whole book being miserable. And it's like, God, if you like suffering read this book and Glacian will be your favorite character. Like even in just this chapter alone, describing the horrible like pustules and shit that he's grown over him from whatever this infection is. And it does have a name. Uh, We will learn that name, but like, Oh, this poor, poor bastard who is absolutely getting topped tonight. (laughs) And it, uh, when we were talking about the power stones and how, when um, Yogmoth was like, going over, like, the logical fallacies that they have mm-hmm. about that. I, was, I Before I read that portion, I was, like, I was thinking that. I was, like, tearing apart this, and I was just, like, what? And then he said it, and I was, like, I should not be agreeing with this man. I shouldn't be agreeing I shouldn't be with Thanos of Magic the Gathering. Please don't tell me. I should. I sh- I shouldn't be, and yet here I am thinking the same way he is. Yeah, you, unironically, I think any sane person reading this book will spend the first half of it empathizing with Yogmoth. And, like, I really still don't know how intentional that was. Like, was, you know, looking at J. Robert King, come find me. Um, were you trying to write a sympathetic man who falls? Were you going for, like, the actual, like, Luciferian metaphor here? Or were you just, like, or did you, I, I unironically think he forgot he was writing a villain until halfway through the book. 
it definitely feels that way, uh, making him more attractive than the other characters, making him more reasonable and more... He has a personality that's like smarmy and smug and it's charming. He, He's he, actually charming. I think if I'm, I actually loathe to make this comparison, but I think this is the personality that made people like Iron Man. Of It's kind of like got the snark, got the confidants, got the I know so much better than you, even if you don't know that I know yeah. better than you yet. Like very cocky, very sure of himself and like very much written like a romantic hero. And it's just so odd. And like, it, I know so many people make fun of people for simping for Yawgmoth. And I go, God, but did you read the book? I can kind of see why there, people did. There's it. It feels too genuine to be a kind of like, makes you think, doesn't it? <laughs> kind of like, we live it. Do not bring Oko into this. <laughs> we are not there yet. <laughs> we'll be we, there for a while. <laughs> we will not go into that. <laughs> Kill me. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, um, what a what an opener. We have now been introduced to our I would say at this point four major characters because Gix is in our here. twisted little man our that we're all rooting for. That we're all rooting for. But we've seen Glacian, we've seen Rebek, we've seen Yogmoth, and I'll tell you right now, excuse me, nobody else matters. Uh, not a single one. If there's a named character in this, uh, don't worry. They won't come back. Um, it's just them. I'll make sure to ignore names then. You can ignore names just completely. There was at one point where it's like there was a named character and I just forgot who he was until he was mentioned like five chapters later. And I'm like, who? Fuck. Who? Oh no. I'll be here to help you. Thank you. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, me and my ADHD. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the first couple of chapters. That's the first couple of chapters. Well, overall, what do you think? Um, not a great start. <laughs> not, not a stellar, um... I'm enjoying this so much. <laughs> this is what I live for. This, it's not... I didn't have expectations going in. And I was still let down. <laughs> I love when you start at zero and then just start dropping And it just the goes down, because I was like, I... Don't read a lot. That's just, it's, I'm either, it's either audiobooks or I'm, or nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, I need both the text and audio going on at the same time. Yeah. So I don't get to read a lot. But <laughs> sitting down and reading this, it's, if I may uh, quote Spice 8 Rack, do... Fantasy authors deserve rights. Oh, well, I'll leave that to our listeners to decide. <laughs> um, once again, J. Robert King, come find me. Um, I, like, once again, this is schlock. But this is, God, I eat this schlock up. Like, I'm not saying this is a good book, but it's enjoyable to read because... It certainly is entertaining in a way if you... If your if your entertainment is masochistic, <laughs> I mean, he is your poor little meow meow. Yogmoth is my poor little meow meow. There, there. Uh, I said it. 
I'll stand by it. And uh, I think that's where we're going to uh, end our summary and discussion. Yeah. What more needs to be said? Now for magic news. Magic news. Let's go. All right, all right. So obviously, as of the time of this recording, the uh, the biggest news is going to be the uh, Streets of New Capenna release this Friday. Um, if you are somehow listening in on this and have no clue what the set is about, it is a brand new plane that we've never seen in any set before that are centered around five mafia demon families they're described as, and yet I'm still looking at them going, there's not a lot of demons in this set. Um, yeah, literally the only demons are the family heads. Are the family heads. And you've got the maestros, which are the vampiric artistic assassins. You've got the obscura, which have like the cephalids. They're very like information gathering behind the scenes sort of thing. Um, the riveters, which are the, uh, the working masses, uh, I guess is kind of the best way. Um, like they, they are technically a mafia, but they're a little more down to earth. Um, the cabaretti, which are, yeah. the, uh, which are the party guys. They, they throw the best parties. Um, who the hell am I missing? That's gonna, Brokers. Brokers. Ah, yes, the uh, the more, like, closer to legal aspect of mafias that are based on contracts and uh, that sort of thing. So, uh, these are horrible, horrible descriptions, but uh, if you want more descriptions, go on the uh, go on the Magic the Gathering website. They've got a lot of better descriptions for these families and how they work. Um, there's also brand new story on the Magic the Gathering website uh, centering around Elspeth, who has not had a story in a while, and um, from what I've heard, a lot of people seem to be fond of her, so we'll be curious to actually get into her story one day. She's pretty. She's pretty. I think she's pretty. I did read the Streets of New Capenna story, even though I have literally no context for most of it. I I guess I've got some context. Um, We also get uh, Vivian, another planeswalker, who... um, literally just casts bear from her bow as you do <laughs> as you do um we see a little bit of tezzeret who i've been told and have come to believe is the uh post gix starscream <laughs> oh great um also god anybody who's listening who's read the streets of new capanna is it just me or are the scenes with him and vivian also kind of like the start of a romance novel please tell me i'm not the only one who read it that way this was so weirdly like I don't know, tense, but in like a not platonic way between Got the two that of them. Sexual tension. Like, like Tezzeret literally at one point like takes his like coat off to reveal his rippling cyborg body. I'm just saying, you're like, why are we lingering on this? Isn't he like super old? No, I don't think he's that old. I don't. I actually don't know. I thought he was pretty wizened. I I don't. Okay, hold on. Hold on, real time here. I'm I'm googling, I'm googling Tezzeret and seeing if he has an age attached. Yeah, because I looked at him because I think I felt the same way, and I looked at him and I was like, oh, oh no, oh no. Um, well, if, I mean, if he's old, Vivian's also gotta be that old because I know she's been around a while. Um, let's see. Does anybody on the wiki? No ages. Uh, he's in middle age. That's great. That's all that says. Well done. How about how about Vivian? Any? I mean, just looking at the pictures. I think they can't explicitly do ages because they just fuck themselves over. Yeah, yeah. Like they would never, um, they'd never be able to keep track. They gave, they gave us Yogmoth's age. 
Oh god, and they, they did. Were, they, and Glacian. He's like, what is he, 45, but looks 55? Yeah, yeah, he looks 55 because he's a fucking nerd in a basement. Yeah, he just, doesn't take care of himself. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Glacian. Um, nothing on Vivian's age other than lately her hair has become partly white. So she's probably also oh, she's middle-aged. Eight? Okay. So, you know, go grandma. That's go grandma. fine. It's fine. Um, so, yeah, you got a bit of those guys. Um, I know the thing a lot of people were excited for with the Streets of New Capenna story was the return of Urabrask, who is one of the five praetors of New Phyrexia. And as I'm being led to believe, is maybe planning a rebellion, which is kind of a big deal because Phyrexians don't really jive with the concept of rebellion, per se. Mm. Um, also, Elish Norn has been a bit of a prick, so I don't blame him. Um, that's all I know about that. Uh, the story with Elspeth, as far as I'm aware, is that New Capenna is her home plane, which was hinted at in previous stories, but never gone to or expounded upon. And there's absolutely confirmation that old Yogmoth era Phyrexians are living on that plane and were the Phyrexians that tortured her in her youth and used her for slave labor. Until right. She, until she sparked. So... Uh, is that gone into in the story? N- barely. <clears throat> barely. I, if I had to comment on uh, the Streets of New Capenna story, it should have been a book. Um, I, I kind of, I, I haven't finished it, but I agree. It's, it has so much depth to it. It was such a refreshing read after reading the thread. <laughs> after reading, <laughs> which, <laughs> which I mean. Isn't very hard to do, but I did thoroughly enjoy it. But, like, there's so many characters, and there's so much going on in terms of, like, you know, what's going on with Jada and the Halo, what's going on with Obnixilis. Oh, yeah, Obnixilis is in this. Uh, as Apparently, he just shows up, kills people, and leaves all the time. As so this do. is This is kind of par for him, is what I'm aware of anyway. But, like... All of those characters I've named, you know, all the heads of the families, uh, side characters in the families, I'm sitting here like five stories wasn't enough. And I know a lot of people got to the ending and were like, but we didn't get this, we didn't get this, we didn't finish this. And it's not that it's bad, it's just we wanted more. So, Wizards of the Coast, are you listening? Write books again. Get J. Robert King. (laughs) Not to write books, though. No, 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 to write books. I I want them back. Bring them back. Bring them back for me. I'm, I'm begging you. Um, so yeah, that's uh, I think the big news. Um, In other news, we have a Judge Academy statement that I really want to say that it was pretty big for me. Um, this is on intentional misgendering of other players and them ruling that it's a serious problem, like actual a U USC major. Uh, that could be up to d- disqualification in uh, legal settings, which I don't know a lot about, but hearing this uh, makes me really happy about my, the inclusivity. My understanding of a lot of, because um, this is something that one of our uh, our buddies um, was actually training to be a judge and had, uh, has talked to us a little bit about that. Like, there are some very strict standards for judges in official Magic the Gathering competitions and tournaments, and a very very rigid set of rules for both players and judges to follow and abide, not just like the card game rules, but rules of conduct and things like that. And essentially what this ruling has determined is that misgendering is the highest, it was one of the highest forms of harassment. And, you know, if you're harassing the other player by any means whatsoever, you know, we're not just talking misgendering, we're talking, you know, any 
prejudicial discriminations or, or even just being an asshole is enough to potentially lead to disqualifications if you don't, you know, wise up. But the affirmation that misgendering does count among these uh, disqualification criteria is, look, for some people it might seem little, but it's just one of those things where it's nice to have that confirmed and out loud so that nobody can ever say otherwise. Yeah, it, it just made me feel really happy. And I know that there's just so many different kinds of people that play magic and are into magic and making that like even the official places just accessible and actually acknowledging that misgendering is violence against is, anyone. Is, anyone. Anyone. It, that's, it's just, it, that's the short of it. It's just plain. It's nice. It's, it's good. Delicious. It's refreshing to hear. And, you know, I, I have my ups and downs with Wizards of the Coast, uh, as many people as I'm sure do. do. As all do. I, I, you know, Wizards of the Coast, if you're listening, don't take it personal. Uh, you're, you're a business. You're, you're going to have your ups and downs. You're doing your best with your Hasbro uh, slaveholder. What? What? Uh, no, don't listen to us. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, hearing little things like that is always just nice steps in the right direction and just uh, steps towards making the game more accessible to everyone. So that's that's a good thing. It's a good thing to bring up. It's good news. I have another piece of news that um, almost went under the radar for me. So, do you know about the Magic the Gathering comic book universe? There's a... Oh, no. There's a comic book? I I, I just learned that there's books. <laughs> <laughs> now you're telling me there's comics? There's comics. Now, we won't be getting into the comics here. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. We'd probably yeah. do it at the end of the books. But... As far as I have been led to believe, the continuity on them is its own thing at this point. Like, oh, they have God. gone slightly far enough off the, you know, card stories releases that you can't really read the comics and expect them to align with what's considered the mainline what's story. the point? Well, like all comics, um, alternate universes are just canon. Yeah, I guess. Now, speaking of comics, uh, a issue one of The Hidden Planeswalker has come out from Boom! Exclamation point Studios. Uh, I think that was two days ago, featuring The Hidden Planeswalker Liliana Vess, uh, who is, as far as I'm aware, a necromancer planeswalker. I don't know super much about her story yet. Uh, I do know she's some people's waifu, I guess. Like, I, uh, I mean, oh. she's a, a popular planeswalker. She's going to be someone's waifu. Um, but... She um, was revealed in Strixhaven after the events of War on the Spark to be disguising herself as Professor Onyx on the world under a you know pseudonym, and so I suppose this comic, by the look of it, is going into what's her life like there, what's she doing. Um, go ahead and check that out. The art for that looks pretty fun. Pretty Ooh, fun. that's actually really nice looking. Yeah. You guys got to check it out. We'll, you check we'll, it out. Li- we'll link it down below. If you. Uh, a good place to check this and other news out. Um, I know sending anybody to Reddit is its own journey, but there is a Reddit called MTG Vorthos. Uh, now, Vorthos, for people who might be listening to this and don't know, so there are names for types of players. Like when we talk about spikes who are like the tryhards, it comes from like actual Magic the Gathering has names for types of players. Oh. Vorthos are the people who really like the lore. They really like the story. They want to dig into it and, you know, get all up in there into Yogg's greasy, glistening asshole. Um, mm. So 
MTG Vorthos is a subreddit that I follow, and I will probably just be posting a link to this podcast on, so, you know, come on over from MTG Vorthos, uh, we're, we're the lore buddies here. But uh, it's just a lot of, you know, pretty fun discussion about lore releases, things going on, etc., and uh, that's where I saw the news about uh, this comic coming out, so I'm sure... As those issues come out, you can probably uh, see links and uh, little previews to them there. So I would highly recommend. I would highly recommend. Uh, that's, I think, all the news I have. Yeah, I don't have anything else. For this week. Um, I will be trying out the Maestro's Precon this weekend as we are all getting in there. Like, Cabaretti, y'all! Uh, our, our, Party! Our friend group have all picked families and decided... To just go in raw with the pre-cons before we start, you know, tearing them apart and making them better. I have already made a deck list for my altered maestros with 30% more maestros cards. <laughs> I cannot stress enough how much I wish there were more maestros cards in the maestro deck. I understand you need to make money. She's all about the vampires. Uh, look, I've got one thing. And it's the vampires. I can't afford the Godzilla cards. <laughs> 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 I really can't. It's it's it'd be like five hundred bucks to get the whole set, and I, you know, I'm, I'm just I'm just a poor poor little researcher or researcher salary here. I, I already have a lot of cardboard in my life. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I'll be uh, I'll be trying out Maestros. You've got Cabaretti's, uh, so you know we might have some commentary on how we think those cards play uh, and on how they feel. Flavor-wise. Flavor-wise. Lots of flavor. We will go into that. Um, I think for our schedule, we're planning on releasing every other week. Yes. Uh, just because we are very busy, busy people and reading takes a little while. But if any of you listeners want to read along with us, uh, pick up a copy of The Thran or listen to the audiobook. For free on YouTube. For free on YouTube. Um, and we are going to be doing chapters three and four for our next ones. Does that sound you know, reasonable if they're about the same length. We can go three, four, five. Oh, we're going three, four, five. Let's do it. If it's going it. to be every other week, why not do a little bit more? Oh, we're getting in there. So, dear listeners, uh, chapters three, four, and five will be discussed on the next episode of Flavor Text. I'm your host, Marina. And I'm Sunny. Thanks so much for coming in and listening and listening to us. Blabber. Um, We uh, can be reached if you have any, um, you know, news comments, etc. Questions questions you want to scare? You want to scare Scare us with? (laughs) If if you need, if you want to scare us with something, you can try. Uh, You can find us at the Flavor Text Podcast at gmail.com. I, you know, also feel free to. Give us a subscribe or uh, an episode like if you uh, enjoyed what we put together for you today. And I will also be on the MTG Vorthos subreddit. So if you uh, have any commentary or or requests or critiques, feel free to throw them my way there and I will uh, choose whether or not I listen to them. Have a pleasant, pleasant week. And uh, remember, don't fall for any Phyrexian MLM schemes. Thank you.